LGBTQIA is actually a subsidiary of Alphabet. Alphabet, yeah, yeah. it's, it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> they 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 compartmentalize all human knowledge, including queerness, into mm-hmm. uh, the Googs. You're listening to Drag and Drop, where we unleash the full barrage of our queer Asian judgment on today's tech news. I'm Danny Chung, and I'm feeling really, really excited about a new adventure that I'll be going on starting this month, which I'll talk about later. Ooh, secrets. And <laughs> I'm Spring Wen, and I'm full of adrenaline because I have been exposed to countless hours of fireworks in... <laughs> The Bay Area, starting not last night, mm. not last week, nope. pretty much last month. It's nonstop. Yep. yep. So I'm ready. I haven't slept in three days. <laughs> so last week I had an opportunity to speak at a local financial firm for their Pride panel, and very specifically when I was training for this, and for those of you who maybe I didn't mention this before, but I speak for the San Francisco LGBT Speakers Bureau. And if you are within earshot and you identify as a queer person, especially if you're a queer person of color, they really, really, really need more diversity and diverse voices from white voices on this panel. So I I suggest that everybody go and check it out. It's um, You can Google it. It's the SF LGBT Speakers Bureau. It was founded in 19, I want to say, 78 as a reaction to the Briggs Initiative. So back in the back in the 70s, there was a lot of kerfuffle about gay people being in schools. They, you know, were horrified that we were there teaching. Don't worry, they're still horrified. <laughs> um, correct, correct. So I think in California, it was called Proposition 6 at the time. So 1978, and this is before I was even born, but basically they were allowing, sorry, disallowing, they were trying to put something on the rule books that said that they didn't want LGBT people in schools as teachers because, you know, we're bad influence, right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Side eye. So they, they try to do this, and and this uh, LGBT Speakers Bureau had different iterations throughout the years um, and, you know, with regards to funding and, and, and kind of structure, but um, it survived it's in 78 as a reaction to this horrible, horrible proposition in California, which I believe was defeated. And one of the people who founded it, I forgot his name. Um, I'm happy to follow up with that. He's actually a, definitely a politician now, and that's, you know, to be to be expected. He's somebody who is... Uh, interested in furthering our narrative as mm-hmm. a as a as a group so i speak for them um i've done schools high schools companies uh this particular year was this one so i thought it'd be interesting to follow up and just take some of the more pointed questions that they had that we didn't have a chance to answer i know that's technically not pride anymore season but also i'm gay and pride is every day so here we go okay <laughs> question number one sure can you please identify all of the initials and pronouns I hate to admit it, but I am truly confused by the plus and the initials. Okay. Can we pause? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing a voice, a Karen voice. Okay, go ahead. No, I'm dying. I'm dying because I feel like <laughs> if a question can be answered by Google, do you want <laughs> to publicly ask it? I feel that is very insulting. 
And this goes with BIPOC, mm, right? Mm, like, mm, mm. I'm not like knocking on people's door asking them what. <laughs> I I often ask kind of a little bit of a name questions as maybe an icebreaker or to say that I'm open to, you know, allowing myself to seem not so smart. But yeah, yeah. this is also like, come on. So you're saying, if I'm hearing you correctly, mm-hmm. if, bitch, listen. Yeah. If you are asking me what the initials are, and you have Google in your hand right now. Yes. You're saying that you actually didn't look this up ever. Is that what you're saying? I'm asking, why are you here? What? What? <laughs> if you don't know what the initials stand for, how did you even start the computer? Well, I mean... It was weird because it was a Zoom panel, right? And it's not like, so typically when you speak, the students have to come in or the colleagues have to come in and they sit uh-huh. and you you talk in front of people. This is like people in their homes, which was very like intimate. You know, I was like this random gay man in their house. Um, <laughs> God, that sounded horrible. That's, a, that's another topic. Go on. <laughs> right. Totally. We'll get to that later. But yeah, um, so let's. Just, I'm going to answer it because I, I totally agree with you. The uh-huh. the answer would be L is for lesbian, G yep. is for gay. This is like Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, B is for bisexual, T is transgender, Q is queer, mm-hmm. questioning, I is intersex, A is for asexual, and the other A is agender, and you'll hear like two-spirit, and then the plus is for anybody else that might be excluded by the acronym. And for mm-hmm. those of you who don't know, two-spirit is... I think traditionally more of a Native American and uh, Indigenous people when they describe people who don't aren't necessarily on the gender uh, uh, binary. Yeah, but also this is LGBTQQIAA. Mm-hmm. This plus. is the this is the whole alphabet. In case you wanted to know. Yeah, it's uh, also known as the alphabet. Right, we, sometimes we, we just call it alphabet, not Google related. <laughs> but now we're all bringing it all together. It's under Google. It's actually part of Google, the LGBTQQ. Yeah, did you know that LGBTQIA is actually a subsidiary of, 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 of alphabet? Yeah. yeah. Alphabet, yeah, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> they 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 compartmentalize all human knowledge, including mm-hmm. queerness, into uh, the Googs. Um, that would be so bad. <laughs> okay, question number two. How do you handle seeing what I perceive to be a trend of less qualified employees being promoted into management positions who are straight, married, have children, or after recent straight engagements? <laughs> I do feel like this is a bias that exists in, in this company. Oh, my God. So savage. I, and I feel like I've seen it in other places, too, in corporate America. And I think it can be very demoralizing. Spring, what do you think? Uh, I love your Karen I mean, voice. I'm so immediately <laughs> offended. I don't even know what you're saying. It's just the tone. I'm like, I'm already <clears throat> triggered. What is the thing of unqualified people with children or ha- are married? I, I, this seems very, it's like a classic cor- uh, Karen because it's kind of like, a, it's a slap, right? Or it's it's a put down, but I don't know where, where it's coming from. It just came out like, you know, the, the corner and just hit me in the face. Have I hit? How do you handle seeing this, Danny? Because I don't even know how to answer this weird question. Well, I think that I am actually a little bit depressed about it. And this podcast (laughs) and then and the the way Mm -hmm. that I act in my regular work life and work live work life is part of what I do to kind of overcome it. But my baseline Mm -hmm. is actually depressed because I understand and I'll I'll, this might be maybe a little bit incendiary. Gay people, queer people, 
we are not normal, right? And when I say this, I mean a couple things. Like number yes. one, I think it's a gift. And I talk about this a lot. We have this gay gift that we get to see yes. outside of the matrix. We have um, mm-hmm. the Tiresias view. Tiresias? Yeah. Is that the an Oedipus Rex? Whatever. We we have this ability to look outside of the, the fishbowl, right? The fish doesn't know that it's in the fishbowl, but yeah. we are born outside of the aquarium spiritually, you know, even culturally. Mm-hmm. But then also on the other hand, it's because of that, I think, that we are not normal because most of the population on this planet is straight, right? Like just the numbers, right? Mm-hmm. So- Right. I'm a little depressed about it when I see this because I know that this is like systemic and built in. And of course, I'll keep fighting and keep talking. But personally, I get a little depressed because I'm like, God damn it. Like it really is built for straight people, you know, because I've heard I think we talked about this in another uh, conversation. And I definitely Mm -hmm. said this during the panel. I was like, well, you know, I've heard straight up open conversations about like, well, you know, he deserves a salary or he should, you know, stay here in terms of compensation because he has kids or he just had a kid or he's getting married. I'm like in the office standing there as a gay person. And it's really, really, really demoralizing. Like I agree with the question and I get depressed about it, but you know, don't antagonize, organize. So I just do something about it. Well, as experience of someone who is married and has children and who is gay, I feel like my experience is that when you are, you have a child, it really affects your ability mm-hmm. to advance. You know, no one has ever cared about whether or not I had a kid upon firing me or reducing my hours or, or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, like, and is it because mm-hmm. I'm a woman? What if I was a man with a child? Maybe then they care. It's interesting. I I, I had a conversation with a manager once who said, what are we going to do about, let's call this guy Bob. <laughs> what are we going to do about Bob? He's completely incompetent yeah, and he yeah. sucks, right? And I was like, yeah, this guy is making me – he's like wrong on so many levels and I cannot handle him. And I I turned to – I said to my manager, you know, I have been in Bob's position and I only ask for mercy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I have been in a position where I, I can't seem to catch up and I'm very confused yeah. and all this stuff and, you know, and not feeling great about myself and being very insecure and it coming out sideways and – be kind, you know, whereas I think if I was a different person, I'd be like, give my manager permission to like, you know, yeah. lay this person off, you know, and I think he was asking for that and I refused mm. to give it. So there is a, there's an aspect of compassion in and kindness that I think we need to treat each other. And I think it's very hard to do that when the corporate world, which we're talking, and this yeah. is the finance world, where people are so competitive and and I have that inside of me too. I mean, I have been able to climb the corporate ladder, but it doesn't Mm-mm. feel good. And I think it affects you as a human being and it kind of like drains the kindness out of you and makes you into a horrible person. <laughs> so <laughs> um, have some compassion, I guess, is what I'm saying. But I, I, I do see other people not have kids who are like, can, you know, work all night and do all right. this other stuff. And and if you have a relationship, it's also really hard to to work that you need the way you need to work in order to get ahead and where you need to make time for your relationship. And, you know, we both are under the pressure. So that's a couple of things. There. I think that we all work too much in America and nobody's happy. And yeah. at the top of the corporate ladder or when you have to like fully sacrifice your soul is the CEO position. Right. And as we all know, or maybe just you and I believe that all CEOs are sociopaths. <laughs> 
And I'm sorry yes. to anybody who I've gotten along with at the sea level. And, and, you know, if you're listening, you know who you are. But um, just generally speaking, <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, we're, mm-hmm. we're, we have to, you know, think about people as capital and everything as capital and resources, right? Resources mm-hmm. to leverage, yeah. to mine, to capitalize on, just to be strategic about. And then you actually don't have empathy. Mm-hmm. You don't have compassion. <laughs> Question three. This is anonymous. Um, and they this is direct directly to me. Danny. How do we as a business be more inclusive and create a safe space to avoid some of the, as you say, code switching? Okay, and we actually typed up the answer to this question, and I think it's actually pretty important to go through. So I'll just quickly run through it. Some of the code switching is going to happen in any sort of work environment or any sort of social environment with your literally with other people. However, the need to code switch or pretend to adhere to a certain norm it lessens the value of the diversity. And that is part of the problem that we have to address. And even in the previous question, right? If we stop having to code switch and and just show up and communicate as our full selves unapologetically without shame, mm-hmm. then we actually create understanding mm-hmm. and then people can maybe have more empathy and, and the CEOs can, you know, come fuck down. One of the tactics that we go through here is pretty simple, right? Just be inclusive and the intra-company communications. I'm guilty of this of myself. When I speak to a group of women, I will even say like, so what do you guys think? So what do you guys think? Mm-hmm. I'm like, listen, they're not men. They're, they're, they're like, you're speaking to a room full of women. Why are you even saying that, right? So I have to continuously change to folks or I have to change to what do you you all think, you know? Yeah, and I feel like when I've been in an environment where people are more are just more inclusive, and it, it's not what you'd normally think. Like for example, I don't drink, so when there mm. is a there is a, a a social activity at work, and they're like, "We have alcoholic and non-alcoholic drinks," I'm like, "Oh, that's yeah. really nice. I really yeah. appreciate that." You know, so it's not just about demographics. Again, it's about your lived experience and where you're coming from, and understanding like a social event at work should not start at seven p.m. if you have kids, or if you have a long-term relationship you need to take care of. So the next one is pretty simple, and I think it's to your own judgment. So it says, "Don't don't police language in casual conversations. Let let, let people be themselves." Right? Like, and I said, "Yeah." Sometimes I use guys. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I use girls. Sometimes I use ladies sometimes i use homos sometimes i use faggots depends on who i'm talking to you know and i think that is is pretty good you don't want to be pc police card screaming at your coworkers like at the water cooler conversations or over slack um i mean i totally agree with you language is kind of you know it's relative but i think it's always about using the f word it's like i can't use that word right but i'll call myself a dyke Mm. but you know, that's like, and I love, I love it, but I don't think I'm going to say that at work. That's true. I, I say faggot about myself and I'll talk about that sometimes within other gay men. I was like, look at this faggot over here. You know, that's fine. <laughs> okay. So the next one is when choosing vendors, this is a great one. I didn't come up with this one, but I loved it. When choosing vendors or making charitable contributions, make sure that they're so actually supportive of the LGBT community. So LGBTQ community. Totally. Mm-hmm. And again, just go to Google, a subsidiary of Alphabet, LGBTQ yes. subsidiary of Alphabet, and check it out, <laughs> right? That's it. It's pretty easy. 
Well, people are always shocked to find out like the Salvation Army is actively homophobic, mm. right? So like around the holidays, what happens is you see them at the grocery store. I'm always like, I just shoot them like the most strong laser eyes as I'm going to get my LaCroix. And everyone's like, oh, wow, you're so, you know, you must hate charitable <laughs> causes. You must hate homeless yeah. people. I'm like, uh, actually, they hate me. And It's yeah. funny because hate doesn't have to be someone standing on the street with a sign or a shotgun pointed at your head, right? Mm-hmm. Hate mm-hmm. in the corporate world, in the tech world, and, and for the tech world, I would say it's more of the companies that are more silent and more complicit than mm-hmm. than than directly supporting, you know, a horrible like NRA or whatever it is. But, you know, I, I, I drove by Chick-fil-A this week with my mom and I was telling her, I was like, mom, you can't eat there. And she was like, uh, why, why? And I had to tell her all this. And then I was like, and you can't go to Home Depot. And she's like, wait, but your dad and I have to get this and this. I was like, no, mom, you can't go. And she, and she didn't understand that like that is also a form of hate. And it, in many ways, it's worse because it's systemic and it's regular, right? Wow, you said the most painful thing to me, which is boycotting Home Depot as a competent lesbian. Right. As knowing it's called Homo Depot of all the gays who go there. I go too. I mean, drive Driving to Lowe's, I mean, it's so close to us, right? It's just like literally yeah. right there. And I, I got to build things. But I should be boycotting Home Home Depot, Homo Depot. That's It's like the Target. I know. You know, it's like boycotting Target when I had to boycott for like a whole month. But then they kind of turned around. Homo Depot could do the same, but they choose not to, which is very indicative of how strongly attached they are to their hate is, you know, these companies that actively, I think, go out of their way to harm us. It's not just um, ambivalence. I, th- I think Home Depot is is actively harming us. Or Chick-fil-A. You know, it's, it, I actually have a really interesting story about Chick-fil-A. Is when I was working with a bunch of these designers, I wanted to get in with the group and we would always go out oh, to yeah. lunch. And we would go like to like go all the way to Fremont to go to uh, that lobster place, right? Uh, Red Lobster? <laughs> Red Lobster. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> Uh-huh. Red Lobster, right? Or whatever. And then they would go to Chick-fil-A, right? right? And they were like always like rhapsodizing about it. And they would never invite me when they went to Chick-fil-A. So they knew it was wrong, but they still did it. And it made me feel really bad, you know? First of all, not being invited yeah. to lunch. But secondly, they knew it was wrong and they did it anyway. And that the sandwiches aren't that good. But... What was interesting, there was another designer who came, who who would visit, and then she'd be like, "I'm not going." She's straight. I'm not going there. That's homophobic. And in my life, I love this person. I will forever, like loyally yeah, love this. She person. is queen. Yeah, she was just like she was not white. She was yeah. Latina, Latinx, and I think that was very significant because I think when you have that kind of, this is an interna- intersectional story, right? Which is, she has an experience of being a woman designer in, in, in you know, a land woman designer in yeah. tech. And she understood that this was like a really bad thing, a morally wrong thing because of her own experience as, you know, an underrepresented person. Yeah. And this is the solidarity that I want, you know, that I experienced that made me think I need to have solidarity with other people yeah. too, you know? And that's that's why like Black Lives Matter and all this these other other groups that need help like you know even though I might not personally see myself or recognize myself in some of these experiences 
it is so so meaningful when you reach out and when you are just a little you use a little bit of your privilege to help someone else. Yeah, I think that in today's age, the Asian Black, I'll say, coalition is more important than ever, and we we, mm-hmm. we can absolutely go deeper in on this, and I'm happy to. But it's about connecting the ties that should have been there, but were severed because of white supremacy and severed because of the model minority mm-hmm. myth and severed because of the war on drugs and severed because of all the systemic, you know, oppression that's happened for black folks in this country. So I think that today's day and age in the corporate world, when we are all supposed to be equalized and meritocratized, uh, you know, and it's all based on not, not race and, 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 mm-hmm. and sex, sex and gender, which is bullshit that it is important for us to continue to talk and dismantle. And one of the ways to do that is to ensure, this is the next thing on the list, to ensure that mm-hmm. the ERGs that are provided by the, the HR and the human human resources and the, the managers, that they're given the same resources and that they aren't subject to the biases that are there already in the managers. Because like typically the management is is white. This is a very blanket statement, right? But you have like white management mm-hmm. there, white straight management. And that means that that's another form of internal gatekeeping that you're like black ERG or you're like LGBT POC ERG, whatever. ERG is empl- employee resource group for, for those of us who are not in the corporate world and speak this corporate jargon, right? So if you're given an ERG by your like cis straight white manager, you have to make sure that like everybody's equal and everybody has the same power in the organization and that there isn't already bias there. Like, oh, you know, you guys have this, but don't have this, right? Separate isn't equal. This is separate isn't equal. So that's, I think, really important. And if some issue arises, that it's addressed by people who are in the same group. I don't want to talk mm-hmm. to a straight white person about my gay Asian <laughs> problem. Well, ERGs are such a weird... I don't know. I think they're weird because I my experience in the corporate world, I was part of the gay ERG at this tech mm-hmm. company. And we never were allowed to go into the Pride Parade, the San Francisco yeah. Pride Parade. Not that I ever want to, but then we're because I could because we couldn't, we we're like, mm-hmm. what the hell? And for the longest time, and then every year it would be like constantly fighting for yeah. us, right? And then finally the the head of the ERG was like don't worry, you have the ears of the high, at the highest levels of the company. <laughs> Quote, unquote, the highest levels. And I was like, what is this bullshit? <laughs> highest levels, my ass. We've been banging our head against this wall for freaking like 20 yeah. years. And then we got a new CEO. Turns out the CEO is gay. And all of a sudden, we could go to the Pride Parade. And I was like, oh, so I, I guess it's really important if the CEO isn't... A, <laughs> A white straight dude. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then it was like the biggest pride contingent. I mean, it was thousands of people. But it was just like, I, I still, I think about that. I'm so confused. I'm just like, the highest levels, but secret. I can't even tell you what company, right? Because the whole point of the fight was like they were like, don't ever mention we ever fought about this. <laughs> we are a united front, right? This will affect our PR and marketing. Yes. So I could never say the name of this company, but imagine a, a very large imagine company. Imagine one. That all of a sudden, <laughs> maybe you could use Google to look this up and imagine a very large company that all of a sudden had tens of like 
five thousand people marching. And this person, <laughs> which is, in my opinion, is the toppest of the toppest gays. There could be no more. If there are any more top gays, it would just no. be God. I mean, come on. Yeah, this person is. The He's top a top gay. gay. The, of of the globe, globally. Whether or not he's actually a top, <laughs> comma, gay. <laughs> Who knows? Who okay. knows? I need to stop now. The drones are flying outside and the lasers are at my forehead. <laughs> I gotta stop. So, Stay alive. The last one on this list, which I thought was very, uh-huh. very interesting, and we talked a little bit about it when we talk about the Latinx community, is an anonymous question. So it goes, my 14-year-old daughter is taking Spanish one during shelter in place and throughout the summer. She understands the use of pronoun identification in English, but asks us how it's done in languages such as Spanish, where there's so many names and words are gender specific, right? She asks her tutor, her Spanish tutor, but he didn't explain it well enough to her. I'm wondering if anybody on the panel has any insight so we can continue the conversation in our family. Listen, I took Spanish for like six, seven years, uh, but that's all the experience I have. So I can't speak really to the deep cultural bit of it, but maybe you can talk a little bit about it and- I, I took French, which is also yeah. kind of the same. And then Vietnamese is also very, very, uh, you know, it's very highly yeah. gendered. It's uh, super patriarchal. It's very relational. So people have different names in, in your relation to them as how senior, mm-hmm. junior mm-hmm. you are. Not mm-hmm. as other, you know, lots of Asian languages. And I actually know from French that there there's a movement to kind of use a they, they kind of a, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. they, them situation. Mm-hmm. So... Again, this question is funny because you could Google it. <laughs> if you cared about your 14-year-old kid, you can Google this. Literally, Marathon, with our, my wife and I with our child, we'll be like Googling 500 times a day, making sure we're raising our child correctly. You guys are doing a great job. Well, yeah, but also Google exists. We're not that young, but we know how to use the Google. I how What I think they're really trying to say in this question is like, our daughter is interested in gender neutral language. Do you think she's interested in being gender neutral herself? Oh, you, oh. And how do we continue this conversation? <laughs> because we're scared. And I've had people come up to me and be like, uh, "My my toddler, my child is you know is expressing a a gender identity that I'm not comfortable with. What yeah. should I do?" I'm like, "I'm just an art director who's <laughs> trying to get." Oh, this <laughs> this campaign about uh, transfusions, but. Let me talk about this to you, <laughs> yeah. my boss. You're my creative director, you know? And then we'll talk about the transfusions in this ad that we're making. Yeah, I think that's definitely a burden that, just so you know, mm-hmm. if you are straight and, and not POC and listening to this, we all we have regular jobs that we have to do. So if you come up to us or pop in a Zoom and start talking about your daughter or son, in which I actually opened, there was another question I took out today, but there was a man who has uh-huh. two gay kids, one daughter and one son. And he's an Asian man. He's older than I am. And he was asking me about it. And I am so touched. Such a personal story. And he came out to me and reached out to me on LinkedIn about it. So I'm going to give him a call and talk to him about it. But, you know, if I'm like literally – this layout is due tomorrow morning (laughs) for the pitch. Can we like not talk about your gay kid for a second? This is a huge conflict, right? Because, of course, you want – as out people, part of being out is that – you understand that you're part of a movement, yes. right? If, if people were not out and fighting for gay rights since the 70s in America, but really for a millennia because gay people are yep. everywhere, it's just kind of like, you know, this is part and parcel. I'm sorry. It just is. It's you're, you're representing 
and that, that's fine. I'm, I'm okay with it. You are part of the Speaker's Bureau. You take even more responsibility. A lot of people don't want to take that responsibility. I understand that, but it's going to come to your door regardless. <laughs> so yes, if you are pondering any of these questions, there's always Google. <laughs> and also, this is a good reminder and a PSA to find the compassion, find the empathy for your fellow coworkers who are BIPOC or any POC and on the LGBTQ spectrum, and to understand that what you do and the culture that arises from what you do in your workplace really affects us differently. thing I want to talk about this week is a new controversy of an old controversy at Pinterest, uh-huh. uh, which is a company designers love and we all use it addictively. Well, former employees at Pinterest sued the company and along with that, other employees came out of the woodwork to agree and yeah. say that there was a lot of systemic issues. So uh, the employees who, who sued were... Uh, if he, I'm, and I apologize for not pronouncing this correctly because I've only read it, uh, Ifioma Ozoma and Erica Shimizu Banks. And they just pointed to a, a huge systemic problem at Pinterest. And then Pinterest responded by saying they want to hire lawyers to examine workplace culture after mm-hmm. being accused of racism. Mm-hmm. And which is like something you hear, okay, like, okay, this this big tech company did something really bad, but what was kind of really cool was I actually follow the head of global experience design at Slack, Christy Tillman, and she is always like bringing up really interesting points. She actually had her Twitter closed for a while, and now it's open again. So I'm uh-huh. really happy to be able to see what she's saying. And she pointed out that there was a comp- uh, an employee who treated after all these revelations and this. Un- unrelated, to, he was not suing on behalf of them, but he said that he was the fifth employee earned. And he never got a raise. I'm sorry, the fifth employee hired, mm-hmm. the first designer mm-hmm. on the team. Mm-hmm. He never got a raise past ninety nine thousand, mm-hmm. and that which was a quote unquote raise from seventy two thousand when he started. Yeah. Despite working there for four years, four years in startup time is literally thirty years. Okay, yeah. Yeah, 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 number yeah. one. And he wrote on his Twitter, uh, people I hired as interns made more money than me by the time I left. Oh, my God. This, what what Christy said was he built, Justin literally built interest as one of their first design hires. He was the fifth employee, and he never made more than 99000 a year while he was there. Criminal. Okay. there's a. This actually feels a little personal to me to not get six figures in the yeah. Bay Area when you're working at a huge startup that yeah. has made billions in IPO. Yeah. That that actually feels like retaliation. <laughs> I actually had this experience too at a tech company where I was actually the first person hired on a team. And I literally I built the infrastructure from, uh, from the bottom up. I helped write all the documentation, I set up the servers, I wrote so- I I wrote scripts, I wrote software. I yeah. I I made machines. I did all this stuff, right, to yeah. help grow this team from one, which was me, to several hundred. And because of the way the leveling was set, I could not get 
uh, I couldn't level out of that. And so one of the things is in even discussing this, I realized one of the things I don't even know is how leveling works. Hmm. So what Justin is talking about is the fact that he was leveled um, in a way that he could not uh, get promoted financially or um, with responsibilities. So what leveling is, is a process where you're categorized according to your cumulative career experience. Um, That's your entire life. Uh, your skill level, your job responsibilities. So both your current job responsibilities and what they expect you to be able to do Mm -hmm. at that level. Mm -hmm. And this determines your career path and your compensation. And the key for people who are marginalized and underrepresented is you always start very low. Okay. You start the, and the lower you start, the more you have to climb to match other people. So somehow in this equation, he was hiring people who came in leveled higher than him, interns. And this is a way that Silicon Valley, first of all, I didn't even know how leveling works until I started researching for this segment because I didn't know that different companies had different ways of doing it or how, um, anyways, and and it's a well-known thing that everyone essentially comes in at level three, (laughs) (laughs) right? So like, I'm like, Wait a minute. I thought I, whenever I came at level three, I was like, yeah, dog. I didn't come at one or two. Like, <laughs> Spring, you fucking idiot. Everyone comes in at three. Unless you're like lobotomized, you come in at one. Unless you're like so far out, you know, you're like, the, anyway. So then what other things that happen is you level in, then you reach the maximum level five. And right. either you can stay there or you can move on to the next part of the ladder. And first of all, I had no idea. No one tells you. This is painful. I remember doing this exercise with a former manager of mine because we were growing the team and I was this person's mm-hmm. sort of right hand right hand man and we were working through leveling and talking about the team and talking about how to grow the team and it was weird to me to kind of construct a ruler and measure other people's levels of this and this because ultimately I think it comes down to a subjective decision and a subjective judgment. And I think that's probably what Justin Justin was Mm -hmm. being subject to. And just to pause and rewind a little bit, he is a black man. I don't think you mentioned that. And who knows what that has to do with it. But I do know that having done that exercise and having been around the startup world for long enough now, there's this sort of trend sometimes of being over promoted but underqualified. Sure. Like for example, let's say you're a lead designer at a big huge company like Apple mm-hmm. and you leave you could be like the head or the director of design somewhere right. else. Right. This is like kind of like what we're talking about here. And leveling is not is is specific to your arena. For example, if I'm a designer, designer level two, three, four, five, mm-hmm. and then I'm a people manager. So I have to start over at the levels. So it's it's right. different tracks and ladders. Right. And then you compound that with the creative industry where we're hired in at different levels where we start out as a junior designer, designer, senior designer, then maybe art director, senior art director, you know, create creative director or um an even more ECD executive creative director. So mm-hmm. there's always levels in all these industries and it's all completely fake and subjective. <laughs> and this is a way of reinforcing systemic oppression yes. by making and creating a false system that's supposed to be objective 
but it's completely subjective. And if enough people give it its flowers and give it its awards and sort of legitimize it, then we all start to believe that this thing is more than this and this thing is more than this. And then that equals actual hard money, right? Yeah. At so, the end, it's about money. Right? And it's weird to to frame money, real mm-hmm. real value and whatever money is, money is fake, but to actually have people's paychecks affected by so many different subjective gate, gates that are there, mm-hmm. right? So what I was talking about in the beginning of the episode mm-hmm. is that I – I'm going to be signing with a very, very, very small startup starting this month. And so it'll be, yay. yay. And uh, I'll be, yeah, insert clap track. (laughs) So I'll be starting with this startup probably next week. And it is maybe not even 10 people. And we have to do a lot of conversations about compensation versus equity and all of these things. And I thought a lot about coming in at as this chief design person, chief creative person, because I'd, I'd be the first one to be the only one to be responsible for all things creative brand design, right? And what that means for leveling as we grow the team and what it means for compensation. And it was really, really tough because you have to measure the economics of the decision. You have to measure what I know I bring to the table. These are two factors. And then like what they think I bring to the table, another factor. And everyone, he, uh, Danny's drawing Venn diagrams right now in the air to yeah. show you how it all intersects. Yeah. And the, I'm talking to two you know, white guys, right? So yeah. it's built in. There's something else there that I'm like, okay, I have to. And I talk to my other white people friends. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what, do I, what should I do? What should I do? And, you know, some of the advice was very, very frank, you know? Ask for what you deserve. Ask for, you cannot go below this because this is what it is, you know, in the industry. And we talked about this off air. Mm-hmm. And it was very, very difficult for me. I'll speak personally. It was very hard for me because of the my immigrant experience, my POC, my queerness. That I just always think I'm a hack and I don't know anything. And I, you know, I'm an imposter, right? Mm-hmm. Syndrome till the end. And mm-hmm. it took a lot of energy to understand all sides of the conversation and not just react from my fear and from my anxiety. And I think I did a pretty good job. We talked about it yesterday. I think I did a pretty good job in getting to a place where when we set up leveling, when we get things right, you know, at the end of the day, it'll be a pretty good place to start because I don't want to end up like Justin. And I'm so sorry that he had that experience. I think it's awful, absolutely awful. And for you too, right? To have. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, my experience is like, what happened? This is very insidious. This is an insidious practice in tech, which is you rely on people's uh, enthusiasm and passion, and you kind of drain them of every, all of that in order to make a product. <laughs> okay, that becomes very successful. That makes billions and billions and billions of dollars. The product right. that I'm talking about has made maybe uh, five hundred billion dollars. Okay, let's just say from sure. the company itself. Sure. Uh, that said, that's, this is the value of the product, and I put my entire youth. Okay, yeah, into yeah. this product. This right. is all the energy. It turns out maybe something's going to change in the next five years, but it turns out this is all I was, this is everything that came out of me. I'm burnt to a crisp. I don't think I could ever perform at this level again. Okay, burnout is a real thing and recovering from burnout is a real thing. True. And they, the whole point about leveling and also compensation and also stocks and also all this these games you play yeah. is they 
know that there's your they are taking this from you and essentially your future because you might not be able to perform at the same level ever ever again and for that reason you are supposed to be compensated with stocks <laughs> okay flat out stock where is my stock where is my 100 you know shares of of let's say google you know where's right. my 1000 shares right. because that is supposed to last you the rest of your life because they have taken essentially a little bit of your future from you and the people don't talk about this cuz first of all you don't want to sound bitter right and you don't want to sound like a loser which is also the psychological game that that's why yeah and you also can't talk about income with other people you're working with <sighs> and this is all which of course we do constantly yeah. because this is a lever of control against you. And the insidious nature of this is that when you start out at a startup, a smaller company, let's say it's five under 10 people mm-hmm. and you kind of are doing a lot of things all at once, right? For example, in this person's case, in Justin's case, yeah. he kind of developed the design for Pinterest, which is iconic and is being used across the board in so mm-hmm. many other products. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cards, all that stuff. That's incredible. And you then as, but they expect you to not have a lot of experience. So it's either your first job out of college or your first major career job or the first job in your field. And then you um, start growing the team and then you hire other people who actually have more experience than you, Mm -hmm. right? Didn't just come out of college. Right. And so this kind of grows and grows and they use you, the first person as the springboard to get more experienced people who have mm. more life skills, who who are who have earned more and have maybe five or ten years in industry and so right. on. Right. And you're like the sacrificial lamb in the beginning, <laughs> right? And you don't even know to fight for yourself. And this is a very intentional behavior. <sighs> Venture capitalists do this, and it is so evil. And it is a uh, I don't even know. It's, it's just mean. It's mean and it's not kind. It's not compassionate. And this is a reality industry and I, I want to get this information out there. Well, speaking of evil, I <laughs> have an update for us from <laughs> my good friend, Mr. Zuckerberg. <laughs> Marcus report, Mark Zuckerberg mm-hmm. has reportedly, allegedly, and reportedly having said in a meeting in response to the recent advertising boycotts from Unilever and Coca-Cola and the like, right? REI, I think, right? Quote, my guess, I can't do his voice. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do his voice. I'm not, I can't do it. My (laughs) guess is that he says, my guess is that all these advertisers will be back on the platform soon enough. Now, um, I have a couple things to say about this. When you break that down, I was talking about this last night with Nathan. I think he's basically saying, and this is a private staff conversation he had. He's basically saying, I don't care. Mm-hmm. And he's basically saying they don't matter. And he said this publicly. The boycott doesn't really affect our revenue or bottom line that much. Advertising is about, I think, 90% or no, maybe I'm misquoting 70 or 90% of the revenue of Facebook last year. And I think it was 70 billion is what they took. I'm getting maybe these mixed up, but it's 70 or 90. Either okay. way, it's a huge amount of straight revenue. It's coming on right. right through. And yeah, that's right. Having a 7 billion or 8 billion drop there isn't in the long run going to make a big difference. And like you said last episode, a lot of these like SMBs, small medium businesses, 
They mm-hmm. can't, you can't exist without Facebook is because Facebook has plugged itself into the attention economy like utilities. You can't, it's like water. It's everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. In, in, I'm including Instagram and, and, and WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. So I think that he knows that and everybody else who's making very tactical decisions in product design. And I, again, we all know people there and I, it's hard. It's weird to say because I really love these people. But you know, we when you work for a company, you have to work for the company's best interest. So, you know, everybody who's designing, we're making sure that people have to stay on the platform. You're making sure that people's attentions are monopolized by the network and the platform, and that gives Mark the complete cachet. And I I agree with him. People can't live without the Facebook network right now, and I think this it's horrible. Is, this is an epic fight. And I think we're, yeah. and this is just the beginning and I'm excited for it. I'm ready for this because <laughs> like I said, I feel this is the major brands trying to break away from a very, yeah. um, uh, from a, from a channel that's not really working for them because they are major brands and they're not SMBs. And I hope they stick to it because if they can form their own way, which is actually hilariously traditional advertising (laughs) but what facebook did was they kind of eliminated all like newspapers and local newspapers and other channels so it's not just that they're better at what they do but they also eliminated the competition Mm -hmm. so where is unilever or pg&e going to advertise tv streaming you know where are what are they going to do like this is i don't know if you if you cut out facebook out of advertising and facebook destroyed magazines where are you gonna advertise it's not gonna be over there television yeah well <laughs> no i just want to be like dude okay mark i get it you don't care you don't care that that uh, democracy died you don't care that there's no more newspapers you don't care okay cool your revenge is here thank you So, Spring, what's your drag and drop this week? Oh, man, my drag. Dude. Okay. This, there's this app called the Clubhouse app. Okay. Okay. And it is, for those of you who don't know, but a lot of you know, but for those of you who don't know, it's an invite-only social network for venture capitalists and notable <laughs> celebrities. So, like, if you're like Elon Musk or even Oprah Winfrey or whoever, you know, you're you're a member Uh, It's a virtual clubhouse they've named Clubhouse. (laughs) It has no safety rails whatsoever, has no terms of service, no code of conduct, and uh, no community guidelines, no way to mute or block people, no way to report a a profile. And so what happened is they actually this week decided um, inside the app to go after a reporter who was not investigating, just reporting them. That they exist. One of the things is um, the defender of this app said, I have faith that they'll get it sorted. Uh, it's awesome that they're focused on getting the product market fit above everything else. Mm-hmm. So this is essentially the problem, okay? okay? Is the market fit. Who determines the market fit, right? And this is what I call the original tech sin. Is if you don't have a code of conduct or terms of service or any community guidelines, and then the market determines what kind of population will be inside of this app. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That is a sin. 
that is you we are way it's 2020 we are way past the social media boom in order to say we're going to determine who our users are like 4chan or reddit which only also this week banned a bunch of channels right oh yeah because they understand the eventual end result of market fit is that you get a bunch of maniacs on there who are just mean cruel you know and they take it to abuse others and they abuse people outside of the platform don't do this because you're gonna get a terrible product <laughs> so danny what's your drag and drop this week oh it is a long time drag so recently in honor of pride month and pride season our favorite app owned by a chinese company called grinder decided to make the product design decision of getting rid of its racial filters on its search functions. But one of the unfortunate side effects that happened is that a lot of POC folks actually use these filters to filter Mm -hmm. out white people. So this is, I didn't even think about this because I don't use these apps, but that's crazy, right? They got rid of something that people were actually using to find safe spaces in these apps. It's like hashtag black Twitter, right? Right. Like without that, then then black voices and black discourse doesn't have a safe space on Twitter. So if you're like in black Twitter saying shit that but you're not black, like get out. Right? Right. So I think it's a really, really interesting to to talk about. My question is, when you guys were making this design decision, the designers, <laughs> this is what I say every time. Uh-huh. Did you talk to anybody who was BOC? Did you talk to like people or was this just like a surface performative PR thing, like, oh, we're gonna get rid of our filters, oh, yeah. and then we're gonna—that means equal. But wait a minute, what you're like fucking the people who need the, this, uh, you know? Sure. What I think you guys should do is stop virtue signaling. I keep saying that, but stop with the 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 big shows and actually make a real difference uh, in a sustainable, ongoing way to empower minority communities on the platform. And that's this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions, comments, or a topic you want covered, please email us at dragandroppod at gmail.com. If you loved what you heard, please share with your friends, rate, review, and subscribe. It would really help us grow the conversation. All right, see you next time.